0: So, Jesus, uh, in his teachings, he talks about one thing more than anything else in all of his teaching. Do you know what it is? The kingdom. The kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Well, like there's everything that we see, everything we observe, each other, you know, the the normal group think, the normal way of this earth is the kingdom of men, the kingdom of earth. But there's another kingdom. A kingdom that's more real. C.S. Lewis talks about how he took a bus to heaven. It's a fiction. He took a bus, bus to heaven. And when he steps out, this is in the, the book called The Great Divorce, and when he steps out of the bus into heaven, he steps down on the grass, and the grass goes right through his feet because the grass in heaven is more real than his flesh on earth. The kingdom of God is all around us, and it's a reality that's deeper than the reality that we see with our eyes, and it's more real. And Jesus talks about that kingdom all the time. And he tries to describe over and over again that there's this other kingdom. There's a whole other way of living. And in that other way of living, he is king. And in this other realm that as we connect ourselves to it, we find something beautiful. Something that we were created to live with We've been talking about the framework for God's family, the principles, the master architect who designs the universe and who's the creator. He designs and builds the structure and the house for his family to live in, and these are the principles and the standards. And if we learn to embrace and live within these standards and these principles, we find that the life that he's destined for us, his family, is a beautiful life. But when we begin to live outside of those standards then He created the structure for us, the framework for us to live within. And if we step outside of that umbrella, then Father, who wants to protect us, we're not living under His roof anymore and His protection isn't quite as available to us anymore. This structure could be called, instead of the framework for God's family, we could also call it the laws of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there are laws. Laws about how things work and how it's governed and and how He designed the whole thing. And it's not like laws to beat us down and to keep us back. It's laws just like laws in our country originally are designed actually for the sake of freedom. Not to hinder freedom, but to create freedom. To create a safe spot for true freedom. And in the kingdom of God, there are these laws that are there to help us. These principles. When he talks about the kingdom of God, he talks about one thing more than anything else within the kingdom of God. This is the thing that God talks about second most. This is the thing that Jesus talks about second most in all of his ministry. The primary thing he talks about, the first thing that he always talks about in the kingdom of God. You know what that is? Money. Money. That's bizarre, isn't it? He talks more about money than he talks about heaven or hell combined. Jesus talks about money so much that in fact, he has about 40 parables in scripture. And a third of those parables are teaching us how to view and deal with money. A third of them, and over half of his parables, heavily reference money. Luke is the biggest gospel out of the four gospels that tell us about Jesus. One out of every seven verses, apparently, I haven't done this research myself, but apparently one out of every seven verses in the gospel of Luke have to do with money. For a guy who seemed to operate on a shoestring budget and didn't have a place to lay his head, man, did he talk a lot about money. It seems all he was concerned about was the kingdom of God and making disciples, so there must be something about this money deal that's important to the kingdom of God and making disciples, especially if he wasn't concerned in having a whole lot of money, but he was concerned in talking about it all the time. There must be something deeply important about money that we need to learn and we need to know. I decided that... um, I wanted to see if Josh and I have been keeping pace with Jesus on how much we talk about money. So I went back and, and I looked. We've been here about two and a half years, okay? And so that's roughly 130 weeks. Preached 130 sermons since we've been here, okay? Um, and if, I, if you uh, break that up into thirds, it's roughly around 43 sermons is a third of that, okay? So... If we're going to keep pace with Jesus and how much we talk about money, it means that we had to have preached 43 messages that are directly about money. And over 50% of our messages have to heavily reference money. So I went back and I, I worked through my mind and looked through some of our series and everything, and I wanted to see how our percentage matches up. Guess what our percentage was that focused on money? We haven't had a message yet since we've been here in two and a half years that's focused on money. Not one. Not one. You know why it's hard for preachers to preach about money? <laughs> you know, it's really difficult. Why? Because all of you, as soon as I said money, something happened inside of you. See, there's this thing. It's suspicious to talk about money in church in some ways. And there's reasons why. There's two main big reasons why. The first is because the church has earned a bad reputation on this level. You know, there's been televangelists, there's been swindlers, there's been all sorts of people who have used the name of God to make financial gain for themselves, and because of that, people are suspicious when money comes up around church. The second reason, the second reason is because people really want their money, and they don't want anyone, including God, to tell them what to do with it. And so they're suspicious as soon as anyone starts talking about money because they're afraid that someone might tell them to do something with their money they don't want to. And it doesn't matter if Jesus uses a third of his teaching to focus on it, we often still don't really want to hear it, you know? And uh, so this is not a thing that we like to talk about, obviously. We haven't talked about it. But I want to ask you, should you be suspicious if we talk a lot about money or should you be suspicious if we don't talk a lot about money? See, here's the thing, is that um, if you want to hear what Tim Deering has to say, then um, you should probably leave, you know, (laughs) because I'm not that smart. If you want to hear what Jesus has to say, then there's a good reason to be here. The job of any good pastor is to take the words of Scripture and to expound on them, to teach how they apply to our lives, to show how we can get ourselves within this Scripture. And how we can have this scripture be the guideline for our lives. And if a third of Jesus' teachings have been left out over two and a half years, you should be growing suspicious about why there's a big chunk of scripture that hasn't been taught yet. Suspicion shouldn't arise when pastors talk about money. Suspicion should rise when they don't. And so today, two and a half years into the ministry here at Parker Ford Church, we're going to talk about it. We can't not talk about it. I mean, the framework is here. And what we're talking about is God's design for our life and how he wants us to live this effective life. And when he talks all about it, he talks all about money. And if I stop and don't talk about money when it comes to the framework of how we're supposed to live our lives, I'm putting you guys in danger. And I'm setting you up to say, oh yeah, you can be a disciple of Christ, but you don't have to worry about money. And Jesus should smack me around for that one and say there's no way that they can be disciples of Jesus Christ. You guys can't be disciples of me unless you learn about my framework for money. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus' design for money. Jesus didn't design money. Money's not made by God. Money's a man-made thing. But Jesus does have a design for it. Very clearly. If you turn to the largest teaching in scripture Jesus largest teaching in scripture what's that anybody know sermon. sermon on the mount where's sermon on the mount found in your scripture matthew chapters 5 to 7 well done what's the middle chapter 6 hey you guys are good at math too and there's 34 verses in chapter 6 so what's the middle 17, yeah, roughly, if you see how it breaks up, you get to 19 is actually kind of the breaking point there. So you turn to the middle of Jesus' biggest teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, and you get to chapter 19. This is where our passage is from today, and I'm going to have you stand in honor of God's Word as we read it. Boom. That's what I'm talking about. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy but where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... of its own. You can have a seat. Blessed be God's word. So, do you need money to live? Do you? (laughs) Ha ha ha. Do my kids need money to live? Do they have money? Are they living? They don't have any money. Are they living? Do you need money to live? There are people in this world who don't have money. And they're alive. You know how? How? Because they had what they needed. What did they need? They needed food, maybe some clothing, hopefully some shelter. It's what they needed. Money we view not necessarily as the ends, but as the the means to an end. Is money the true means for us? Is money actually our provider? Is it the source? What's the source? What is the source? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus focuses on the Father. Why? Because in the kingdom, Daddy is not Obama. Daddy is not my earthly father. Daddy is Abba, Father God. He is the provider. In the kingdom of God, there's one king and there's one father. When Jesus wants to reorient us from the kingdom of men to the kingdom of heaven, He needs to teach us where the source is. Who provides for us? Who's daddy? He is. He is. So the first thing He says is, Is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I don't want to just live in the normal group think of the kingdom of men. I want to begin to live in the greater reality, the eternal kingdom of God. I want to live in it here and now. Teach me to do it. And the first thing I need to know if that's going to happen is who I receive from. The one who made the garden for us to eat the fruit from the trees. The source of our need is still the source. He's still the source. The reality is no different. He's every bit the source. When Jesus goes to train his disciples, he has to teach him this. See, what he does is he goes and he's, he's deciding that these 12 men... He's going to send them out as his ambassadors in the kingdom. They're going to be the people who who take his kingdom to other parts and establish his kingdom. They're kingdom builders. They're the guys who go out and take the, the, they're like the vassals of the king, who go out and take the decrees of the king and they they bring the good news of the king and enforce the king's laws and rules and and speak about the king and that's their job. And so in Mark chapter 6, he sends them out and he says, I want you to preach about the kingdom of God. And I want you to tell people to repent. What that means is stop believing in all the junk you have and all the things that you've been betting on. Repent, stop, change, turn, and begin to believe that the kingdom of God is here and you can begin to trust in the principles of the kingdom of God and you can begin to trust in the king. And when you do, the kingdom of God will be established right here on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what he tells them to preach. And he says, when I'm sending you out, this is what I'm giving you, spiritual authority. You're going to have the ability to lay your hands on sick people and they're going to get well. And you're going to have the ability to cast out devils. (laughs) Wow. I don't know what all that's about, but wow. You know? Like this is the kind of, he's saying like there's things you don't see. And I'm giving you authority to move and and work in that realm. Now here's the instructions to him in Mark chapter 6. This is what he says. Take no bag with you. Don't pack a bag. Do not take a wallet. Take no money with you. Don't pack a bag. Don't have any extra clothes. Wear only the clothes that are on your back and a staff. Why does he do this to them? Why does he send them out without anything? Because he's trying to teach them and train them. If they're ambassadors of the king, then depend on the king. Does the king ever leave us? No. Is the king short on cash? No. He provides for us. He created the trees. He created the people. He's got us. And he teaches them, the way you're going to be kingdom people is by beginning to depend on me instead of depending on what people of earth depend on. And so he teaches them to go out without anything. It's an amazing thing. Money has the ability to... uh, reveal where our hearts are, doesn't it? And it reveals where our loyalties are, where our trust is, where our fear is, where our confidence is. When you look at your budget, when you look at how you spend your money, it says something, doesn't it? I mean, really, I'm not, I'm not baiting and switching here or anything like that. Just think about it for a second. Doesn't it say something about us? You know how, how uh, we said words, Jesus said that uh, a, a good man uh, brings up goodness out of the goodness of, in, stored up in his heart and out of his mouth pours forth what his heart is full of. So that our mouths, what we speak, reveals what's in our heart. Well, money does the same thing, doesn't it? How we spend reveals what's inside. And it shows what we're really all about. You know, uh, uh, Jesus uh, recognizes this principle to be very true, but it's it's not only that it reveals what's inside. It's also that it begins to dictate what's inside, doesn't it? Remember how we said with words that not only does it reveal what's happening, but James says that the mouth is a rudder for the rest of your life, that if you begin to speak something enough that it begins to change how you believe and how you think? Well, in the center of Jesus' teachings, what he says is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what he just said right there? He said, put your money where your mouth is. That's what he said. Because what happens is, is talk is cheap, you know, and he knows it. Talk doesn't cost us anything. I mean, it can if we're in front of people and we're declaring something openly. It can cost us some dignity. But in general, we can and it doesn't necessarily cost us anything. But if all of a sudden I take out my wallet and I start taking money out and I start investing it into something, all of a sudden something inside of me changes. I start to care a whole lot more about that thing that I just invested into right? Because it costs me. What does it cost me? Money costs me time. It costs me energy. It costs me work. It costs me training. It costs me years. Sometimes it costs relationships. It can cost all sorts of things to acquire money. And it takes hard work, blood, sweat, and tears to get this money. And now if I'm going to invest it into something, it better be something worthwhile because now I care. And if I say I care, but I'm not willing to put my money where my mouth is, there's a real question sometimes as to whether or not I actually care. That's why he says to sow into things eternal, not into things temporal. God knows this. He knows how this works in us. See, what happens is is it's really easy for us to say that we depend on God, but see, there's all this reinforcement of another mentality. If I want something to eat, After the service today, we're going to be, you know, we're headed down to this funeral after the service, and we're going to stop somewhere between here and Ephrata and grab some food. And when we do, I'll, you know, get to the counter or or wherever, and I'm going to pull out some money, and I'm going to give it to them. And they're going to give me food. And that reinforces in my mind something, that this is the means, okay? You're giving me what I need, and this is the means by which I get it, okay? So it reinforces in my mind that money is what I need. Because that's what, and then I got to pay my mortgage. And so, um, what happens when we go to pay the mortgage? The bill comes in, you write the check out, and you send it in, or you push whatever on your computer, whatever it is, you know. But it's money. And then when you go to get clothes and you try to get some new gear for work or whatever, you go and swipe the card. <laughs> and so the card, the check, the computer, the the cash, whatever. Every time I want something. I need that. And so what does it do in my mind? It teaches me over and over and over again that what I need is cash. and What I got to do is find the cash. So who do I depend on? Me. Because I'm the one who goes and gets the cash. I'm the one who has to spend my time and energy and work in order to get the cash in order to do what we got to do. How do I take care of my family? By working. Dependence on me. I'll tell you this story. I didn't tell this in the first service, but I just feel I need to tell it. When um, some of you have heard it before, when we first got married, Jen and I first got married, I had one of the clearest leadings from God that I had ever had. And I resisted it with every ounce of myself. And it was to quit my job right after we got married. And I did not want to do it, you know, because I'm a man. (laughs) And, uh, like, I wanted to provide, you know, and I got pride and I got all that, you know. And I didn't, like... It speaks about my manhood or something, you know? And so I, uh, I resisted, and then eventually I, I, and I kept telling Jen, and Jen's like, are you sure you're hearing from God? You know? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And she's like, all right, well, then do what you got to do. And she was right there with me. Huge credit to her. I quit my job. I went to apply for other jobs, and every time I did, man, my spirit got checked so hard by God. Don't you dare. And I was freaking out. I was completely freaking out. All the people in my life were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. I'll be honest. I'm trying to follow God. Josh took me on a road trip one weekend, and we went out to Michigan. He was living in Phoenixville. I was living in Redding. This is about 10 years ago now. And uh, we hop in on a road trip, and it was right around now. I mean, it might be this weekend. It might be the anniversary the 10-year anniversary of this thing. I have no idea. And um, we go out to Michigan, and there's this prayer team out there. And they start praying over us, and they know like almost nothing about our situation, right? And they're praying over, and then this woman from the inner city of Grand Rapids, she's praying over me, and all of a sudden she just says, Tim, I just really sense something on my heart right now that God's trying to say to you. Listen to this, because this is awkward. I don't know why, but just listen to this. God's trying to teach you something about manhood right now. He's trying to redefine manhood in your mind. He wants to teach you what it is to be a man of God. He wants you to know one main thing. You are not the provider of your family. He is. Because this family that you have, is His family. You trust Him, and He'll take care of you. It changed my life. It changed my life radically. To hear this woman who knew almost nothing about our situation speak this to me, and it, it rocked my world. We got home, and I'll tell you what, Jen and I were never the same again. The way we lived our lives at that point shifted. We began to live in situations that were really peculiar. We began to live in other people's homes as we trained for ministry. We would take big pay cuts and do all sorts of things to do what it is that we felt that God wanted us to do, not what money dictated we would do. Because we believed in that moment that if we sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all the other things would be added unto us. And it wasn't about trying to get rich. It wasn't about trying to find resources. It was about abandoning the thought of those things being what we need. And it was about pursuing God. God knows the propensity in our hearts to depend on the cash, the reinforcement that always happens. And every time I pay in this thing. So what he did is in the Old Testament, he put a principle in place to keep us grounded, to keep us remembering that he's the actual source. Anyone know what that principle is? tithe, tithe. So what he said was, and it's one of these principles he put in the Old Testament, and it was one of these laws, one of the frameworks, and basically it's called firstfruits is the actual principle of it. First fruits that out of everything we receive from God, we give the first and the best of it back to Him. Because the reason is, is because since we're always paying with credit cards and checks and cash, it's so easy to think that's the source. And the only way to keep our minds in check, we can pretend, oh yeah, I always know that God's the source and I can talk like he's the source. But inside my spirit and inside my heart and mind, something begins to shift where I know cerebrally that he's actually the source, but I begin to believe that something different is true. And I begin to live like something different is true. So what he said is, this isn't a guideline. This isn't a principle. This is a law for the people of Israel, that 10% of everything that you have, the first 10% you give back to God. See, and if he didn't make it a law, if he didn't make it hardcore, if he didn't make it serious, we'd rationalize. Right, the, the people of Israel would have rationalized, and they would have said, well, I don't really have the money to do that right now, and God wouldn't want me to miss on this level, so we'd begin to... But it was a law. He was like, there's no compromise, and that's what the Old Testament was. There was these laws that just... No compromise. And so it was like, do this and always give it back to me no matter what. And the reason is, is because if I keep giving back the way I'm supposed to, I'm going to constantly be reminded in my mind that every time I go to use money, every time I receive money, that the first 10% of it goes to God. And it's the reminder in my heart and in my mind where this thing comes from. Money might be kind of a means, but it only is because of the grace of God. And so that was the law. That was the rule that was put in place. Now, I love this in Malachi. Listen to what God says. <laughs> this is a great passage of scripture. I love it. Ma- Malachi chapter three, starting in verse six. This is how serious God was um, about the tithe. He said, I the Lord do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time your forefathers, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you do rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. The whole nation of you. Because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruits, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be the delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Cool passage, isn't it? Cool passage. It's a tough one. He says, your whole nation's under a curse because you've been robbing me. Again, God doesn't need the money. But what have we been robbing him of? Where your treasure is, there you are. We're not depending on him. We're not obeying him. We're not treating him as if he's dad and we're submitting under his rules. This isn't about money. It's about who is our dad and which kingdom do we live in. And these are the laws of the kingdom. And he recognizes that as the master architect, he designed this principle of first fruits. And when we step outside of it, we stop depending on him and we're outside of the umbrella and no longer are we safe receiving the blessing. We're outside, unprotected, receiving the curse of the kingdom of this earth. Does it mean that we won't have money if we step outside? Not a bit. As a matter of fact, we might get more money. Does it mean that we will receive a curse? You better believe it will. Some of you have lots of money. And in the days when you're not dependent on God, you know it doesn't help a bit because it doesn't bring the things that money can't buy, like joy and peace and hope, faith, relationship, love. It doesn't buy any of that. Inside of there, when first fruits go to God and when we live inside his principles, hmm, fruit of the spirit comes. The fruit of the spirit comes. He won't let the fruit be devoured by the pests. He'll produce the fruit in our lives and give us in abundance what we actually need. See, he's the source of everything and he has it all and he doesn't want to hold out on his kids. I mean, he has unlimited resources but he's a great dad and he knows there's so much more for us to learn than just get whatever we need and spend it however we want because it will lead us astray and he needs our hearts to depend upon him and to submit to him if we're going to have the life that he designed for us. So he puts the principle in place that says unless we give first and our best to him, things won't go well. Now, That was the Old Testament. One of the things that cracks me up kind of a little bit is the logic that happens around the Old Testament, New Testament around this stuff. Lots of times I hear people say, well, you know, that was the Old Testament, and so 10% tithe, but now we're not under the law anymore, so I don't have to give my 10% anymore, right? As long as I give my heart to God, as if the principle of first fruits no longer applies, and as if I, you know, where my treasure is, there my heart will be also, is an Old Testament statement, as opposed to a statement of Jesus, You know what he's doing is expounding on that principle now listen that's in the sermon on the mount This is how it works in the sermon on the mount He takes all the old testament principles the ten commandments and he reinterprets them into the new covenant And what he says is like back here this principle this was in the old testament one of the ten commandments It says you shall not commit adultery. You shall not sleep with someone else's wife And then what does he say he says but i'm going to tell you this If you look at a woman inappropriately you've already committed adultery. You've already broken that principle. Therefore, you're already outside of the covering. Did the bar lower or was it raised? It was raised. Over here is this other one. You see in this one back here that he built, that's another principle. You shall not kill. You shall not murder. And he says, I tell you this, if you hate your brother, you've already killed him in your heart. You've already stepped out from under my umbrella. You're no longer safe anymore. Your heart went the wrong way. Did he lower it? Or did he raise the standard? Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus talks about, he's, one day he's sitting here with his disciples, and it's, just, it's a beautiful moment, beautiful moment. He, he's sitting here with his disciples at the temple, and there's these religious leaders, and they bring out all their money bags, right? And they go over to the, to the place where you put your money, and they take the bags and they dump them out and shake them, you know? And cling, 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 clink cling. They made sure it was all in pennies. You know, so everyone could hear, clink, 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 cling, you know, and you can see, like, here's, I bet you this is Jesus' disciples. They're like, whoa, did you see all that money? <laughs> those guys must really, really love God, you know? And then behind them, on this side, comes this woman who has two little pennies, and she takes her pennies and drops them in, and she sneaks away. No one sees it except for Jesus. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And he sees the woman and he grabs these guys who he's trying to train and he grabs a hold of them and he turns them around. And he says, Did you see that? And they're like, Yeah, those guys gave so much money. It was insane. No! Did you see? She gave so much more than they gave. These guys are like, What kingdom do you live in? You know? She's homeless. She doesn't have food to eat. She had two pennies. She gave everything she had because she understands where food comes from, where shelter comes from. And if she uses her two pennies to go out and buy some rice or to buy a piece of bread, it's here today, gone tomorrow, and she's hungry tomorrow. But she understands what she really needs. She needs me, the king, her daddy. And so she gave the last of what she had to me because she trusts me. She's all in. She believes. She puts her money where her mouth is. And because of it, she's a disciple of Jesus. She's a disciple. She trains herself by being obedient to the king. When Jen and I first got engaged, she still had a, uh, she, she had a old mercury sable, right? Is that what it was? Red mercury sable. And she was still paying on it. And so I had some money, some resources at the time, and the first thing I did was to pay off her car. And, uh, you know, there was still a decent amount of payment on that. Why do I do that? Well, we're sharing money now, right? You know, I mean, this is our money. We're a family together. And if we're carrying debt and we have money over here, pay it off, right? And so that was her debt, it was her car. Well, we're married now. Well, we weren't even yet. We were just engaged. But already I'm like, we've got to start doing this right, you know? So let's get rid of that debt and start thinking positively. It's the first thing I did. Pay that off. Now, what if Jen, after I paid off her car, started taking all her paychecks at that point and, and created this other account? And it's like, cool, Tim's got the family thing taken care of. I'm going to form my own account over here where I'm going to use this money for all my stuff. Tim will take care of the family, and I'll just do my thing over here with my money. She's not all in at that point, right? At that point, there's an awkwardness. There's, we're not actually sharing. We're not, the, the money isn't bringing us together. And yet, don't we sometimes? Don't we sometimes? I mean, think about it. The debt that was paid. What was your debt? We look at this cross. The debt. Can't pay it, you know? eternal debt in over our head and our dad sends our big brother out of the riches of heaven to live a poverty stricken life with nowhere to lay his head and to hang alone on a Roman cross and to bleed out for us but you know what I think my bank account's mine really (laughs) You you know what I mean isn't it illogical isn't it illogical? We, we do let our boys have, we let them have a little bank account of their own, not a, an actual bank account. They have like their piggy bank thing, you know? And Evan has this one where it's, uh, it has three different compartments, um, spend, share, and save. And, you know, they do live in the kingdom of men. And so there are principles that we have to learn within that as long as we don't depend on them. But we're teaching them how money works, you know? Because if we're going to use our money for the kingdom of God, we still have to know how money works. And so... Evan, he puts his money in the different places. And one day, he and Jen and Colton were at Target. And there was something he had been saving up for. And he saw it at Target. And he's like, oh, I want to get it. And he didn't have his money with him. And he's like, mom, can you spot me? And I'll get it back to you. And so she was like, okay. So she bought it for him. And then it's like a couple days later. And we're sitting in the living room. And I don't know how we got talking about money. But he went up and got his piggy bank or whatever. And he and Colton, and they dumped all their money out on the living room floor. And they're sitting there counting their money you know, and it was really funny. I'm just kind of on the couch doing some work on my computer and uh, all of a sudden Evan comes over to me and he has this wad of cash and it was a pretty decent amount of cash for a little kid, you know, and he comes over and he plops it on the chair right next to me, on the couch right next to me and he's like, here's your money, Dad, and I'm like, what money? And he's like, the money I, that, we, that I owe you and I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't give you any money and he's like, and then I hadn't known what happened at Target and he's like, oh, I b- bought this and I was like, oh, that's cool and you know what Colton says? Evan, why are you giving the money to daddy? It was mommy who gave you the money. (laughs) See, Evan knew he's watched our life. And he's a real analytical little kid and he watches how everything works and he does the math and he adds it together and he makes his conclusions and he's a smart little boy and he sees how we deal with money and he sees that the money goes back and forth, that whether mommy or daddy's pulling it out of the bank or paying it, it he never knows. It doesn't matter. It just flows back and forth. Whose car is whose? We don't know. We switch them based on the need. Everything goes back and forth. There's this flow with our house, with the finances, where it just goes back and forth. We're a family. That's how it works. And he understands that when it comes to mom and dad, he can give the money to dad and it's just like giving it to mom. You know? And it, and it doesn't matter either way. And if he, if he really pressed him on it, he'd realize that that's his money too. You know? And that we take care of him. He doesn't have control over it, but he's the one who receives the benefit from it. So I would want to ask us the question, as, you know, the bride of Christ, as the bride of Christ, when you look at our bank accounts, if I were to go through your books with you and we had an audit, you know, and looked at how, how we did money and how we thought about money, would it be apparent just like it was to Evan that we have a joint account with God? Is that how it would look? We just got a joint account with him? Or would it look maybe like, no, this is my money, or maybe it would look like this is my money, but I know that I owe 10% to God, so I'm going to give 10% to God, but then the rest of it's mine. But see, what Jesus does in the New Testament is He does make a shift in the New Testament. He changes it, and this is what He changes. See, in the Old Testament, it was like we were created beings who had a responsibility to give back first fruits to the Creator. And so we would give back to Him, and then we'd do what we got to do with our money. We were slaves to a family business of His family. And so we would do our work, punch our clock, pay the dues to the union or do whatever we have to do and receive what we need. And then it's ours to do with what we want. But in the New Testament, he shifts the whole thing. He changes the whole thing. And he says, this is my family business, the kingdom of God, and you are my sons and daughters. You are now princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. I don't want your tithes. I want you to be in the family business, stockholders. Man, this, the shares that you invest into here, they directly stand to benefit you and the family. This is family money, family business. You are no longer a created being with a, a responsibility of the creator as much as you are a beloved wife who should deeply want to be in interaction with her husband, sharing back and forth. My resources are unlimited and I got you no matter what, but be all in with me. We're here together. And that's what the new thing is in, in, the, in the New Testament. It's not any longer, I need to give my 10% in order to make sure that my heart is still connected. It's, I need to give all of myself. See, this is what it comes down to, is that Jesus says to the religious leaders, they try to trick him. You remember this one? And they try to trick him. And they say, should we give our taxes to Caesar? Because, you know, he's the king in this earth, you know? And we give our tithes to God, but should we give it to this evil oppressing king and he says give me the coin and they take out the coin and what does he ask him what's what's whose face is on this coin what's the image on this coin and they say caesar flips it back to him he's like caesar made it his face is on it. give it to him whose face is on you whose image is imprinted on you give unto god what is god's and he flips it It's not 10% of man's money going to God. Now it's all of God's creation going to him. And if we think that the standard of the New Testament is lowered and that now, oh okay, we don't have to pay 10% anymore in order to keep our hearts in the right place. What he says is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want your whole heart. That means you got to believe that your whole treasure is mine and my whole treasure is yours. It's a family business. We're in it together. And it's going to be all good, but you got to trust me You got to know who daddy is and you got to play by the family rules with money And if you don't I promise you I promise you I promise you your heart will go astray because you cannot serve both god and money And when we believe that we are in the family of god, we will find something That it's not just about god and me It's also about my brothers and sisters. And in the northeast of the U.S., where perhaps more than anywhere in the the world, we've learned to deal with money on an individual and and family basis. I don't want to argue with that. All I want to do is say, who's in your family? Really, who's in your family? Who's the dad? Who makes the decisions? And who's in the family? We can think about it. We can theologize around it. But we will know if we believe it, if we put our money where our mouth is. Let's pray.